They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've met hundreds of wrestlers. They own thousands of DVDs and have watched millions of hours of wrestling. They are Prime Time Pause and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. The two-man power trip of wrestling. I am Chad, and as always, I am joined by my tag team partner, Prime Time John Paz. John, how are you? What's up, brother? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing quite well there, Hulkster. And speaking of the Hulkster, our guest today was a part of bringing the Hulkster to home video. And his name is Stephen Hecht. He is the former writer and producer of the original run of WWF Coliseum Videos. And, of course, as children of the 80s, just as we are, you could not wait to get to the video store and get your mitts on the newest Coliseum video or, in my case, rent the same one a thousand times until you memorized it top to bottom what are your thoughts about our talk with a guy who maybe not many people know who he is, but man, did this guy have an influence on the WWF in the 1980s? You know, it's funny when you brought his name to my attention. I was like, hmm. I was like, who is this guy? Who is you know? And then you tell me who is like, oh my god. I was like, this guy. You know, I wouldn't say he's responsible you know, for a lot of memories of our childhood, but he sure as hell brought him to the forefront. He sure as hell made it easily accessible for us to go to the video store and rent, you know, the Hulk Hogan tape and, uh, well, one of many Hulk Hogan tapes and, and pop them in and enjoy wrestling. Home video in the 1980s, obviously, was a booming, 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 I, I guess, new outlet for the most part uh, for all of us to enjoy in the privacy of our own homes. Uh, wrestling was one of the the top-selling video entities for the entire run of the 1980s. Uh, and it's kind of unmistakable that when you think of Coliseum Video and you think of the WWF and you think about all those times you were renting the tapes or buying the tapes, if you could, because they were very expensive back in the day, Stephen Hecht was the man who put it all together. And he's going to walk us through that step by step. And this is a story that has not been out there yet. And he gives us some insight into the fact that he was involved in some pretty heavy decision making and how the WWF product was going to be viewed on home video. You know, what's awesome about that is not only, you know, was he responsible for the tapes and everything, he was working side by side and, you know, hand by hand with these wrestlers. I mean, he's you know he's with Hogan. He's got great stories about him. He's with Jesse the Body and Mean Gene. He tells an awesome story about them. So it's so cool that he was so integral. Like you said, he was right there with the guys during the boom period, and he's right there at WrestleMania. You know, so on and so forth. Unbelievable. Yeah, and I'm just going to add him to another long line of guests that I just don't feel like we had enough time to get into more because 
after we had finished the interview and we had spoken uh, after everything was all done, he shared yet another story about WrestleMania two that is just it, it, it's so it's so unbelievable that you have to hear the first part before I give the WrestleMania two part, which hopefully if we can get him back and go into further detail, I will share part two. Um, but there's not much more I can say. You got to enjoy this. Like I said, this is something that has never really been told before, and you're going to get some great stories. And and wait for that mean gene, Jesse the body one at the end. Primetime, that's enough out of me. I can go on for days about Coliseum Video. I have one in my office upstairs. It is the Heart Foundation. It's my favorite one. It'll remain there until the end of time. Glenn Kelly, real estate tycoon and real estate promoter extraordinaire, teams with WWE legends for the charity event of a lifetime. On Saturday, June 13th, join Glenn Kelly, glennkelly.com, and B98.5 at the Aztec Oceanfront Resort in Seaside Heights from noon to 4. This is your chance to meet WWE legends like Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Jake the Snake Roberts, Mick Foley, Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and many more. All proceeds for this will go to eternal tranquility. For all event info and to Sponsor your company, visit glennkelly.com. That's G-L-E-N-K-E-L-L-Y.com. So John and I, who have grown up as children of the 80s, uh, very big into Coliseum Video. And I was <laughs> kind of racking my brain trying to figure out who could I find from Coliseum Video. And who else could I think of than the person who popped up first on the credits that when they rolled at the end. And it Writer, producer, Stephen Hex. So my first question yep. would be, did you work for the World Wrestling Federation or did you work for Coliseum Video? Yeah. Uh, let me just ask you before we get going, Ian, uh, you're sure. recording this? Okay. Yes, I am, All sir. Right. It's, it's, uh, okay. Yeah, we're taping. So. Okay. Um, I worked – uh, the way this started is that I was um, an independent uh, contractor out of my own, and I was selling – uh, sponsorships, national sponsorships and syndicated radio and television. And I had heard literally the buzz on the street that um, Vince Jr. Um, was going to buy the company uh, from, from his dad, from Vince Sr., and that he was planning to take it uh, national. And having been a fan, I'm a child of the, the, the 50s and 60s, but like you guys, grew up watching it and being a fan. And um, I uh, uh, knew, coincidentally, the guy who was their very first vice president of marketing because he was a former media director at a big ad agency, J. Walter Thompson. And uh, so I called him up and I said, I'd like to, I understand Vince is going to, uh, take the promotion national. Um, I'd be interested in in helping you with the uh, with the sponsorships because I'm already in the business of selling national sponsorships and calling on all the ad agencies. And uh, we struck an agreement, and I had a couple of uh, handful of agencies to call on, and I was successful at it and uh, got them some of their first uh, national sponsorships uh, on the television side. And I heard through that association that they were going to, that they, Titan Sports at the time, uh, was going to uh, license uh, the home video rights. 
And I knew some people in the video business, and I said to them, I'd like to bring somebody to the table. And I brought an independent company, um, which was called A&H Video Sales, and they owned a bunch of video companies, the most notable of which was Metro Distributors, who were, I think, third or fourth in, in the business at the time. As an independent distributor, they were actually distributing some of the major studio stuff. And when we struck the deal, to uh, I was able to uh, bring A&H to the table. Uh, we were able to strike the deal with Titan. Um, and then uh, they... Uh, A&H decided that they needed a very distinct identity for this product, so they formed a label, if you will, called Coliseum Video, and that was formed around me, and they subsequently hired me, although this wasn't my uh, original uh, intent, um, but they said, well, you obviously know the material, and we like the way you write, and you wrote these presentations, and you got us the deal, so why don't you write and produce it for us? And so that's how I became... So I became a producer, which was was somewhat by uh, by accident. So Coliseum Video um, was formed, and we had an exclusive deal to produce and distribute um, what was called at that time the official WWF uh, home video series, and uh, that's that's how it. Uh, Started and I worked there, counting the sponsorship, and then at Coliseum, got five years and change, I think. And I do know that it was uh, really successful um, up until the time that I left. Uh, I had done fifty. I think the count is exactly fifty-five uh, videos, um, and they were. Uh, I can tell you, everyone turned a profit. So it was a very good uh, business arrangement, both for the guys at Coliseum, where where my contract was, and also for uh, the WWF. It became uh, the most successful non-theatrical video series in the history of the home video business. Without a doubt, and they had a, a quite a long shelf stay uh, in terms of the rapid amount of releases that were coming out. But when the releases were first conceptualized, yep. what was the initial thought? Was there any idea of what exactly was going to come out, or was it kind of let's just throw a match compilation out and see how it sells, or was it just uh, no. kind of organic? No, it, it was uh, the uh, the. the Coliseum was owned by by uh, two guys, uh, Arthur Morowitz and Howard Farber, and uh, Arthur Morowitz was one of the pioneers, literally, of the home video business um, in that uh, Arthur and Howard opened literally the first video store in the world. Um, And Arthur was also, I believe, the very first president, if not an early president of what was then called VSDA, the Video Software Dealers of America, which was the main trade association for the home video uh, retailers. So they they were pretty savvy marketing guys, and uh, they greatly admired the uh, the marketing of the WWF, and we weren't going to sort of just, you know, let it grow organically, although it is in any business, some of it does grow organically if it if it works, but um, uh, there was a 
uh, a plan to do um, uh, three series, and we did. I can still remember because I don't know anybody that <laughs> that would try and produce this much content this fast. We we did three original programs every 90 days. Um, the first was a uh, best of the WWF series, which was you know your generic highlights uh, matches. Uh, the second was personality series, so there'd be an individual program, one on Andre, one on Hulk, one on Roddy Piper, um, whoever was you know getting uh, or wanting to get the heat at the time. Uh, and then there was the novelty series, which was uh, you know inside the steel cage and history of the tag team championship, history of the intercontinental championship. Um, and then there were the event, and then on the side of the three regular regularly scheduled uh, shows there was a plan for the uh, uh, the special events now I have to tell you that you know they say timing is everything and I don't know if it's everything but it certainly counts for a lot I always had myself uh, you know an incredible admiration uh, for the WWF um, and I had no doubt in my mind that um, when when Vince was looking to become the first national wrestling promotion, that he would succeed. But I'd be lying to you if I told you that I thought WrestleMania was going, or that many of us thought WrestleMania was going to be the phenomenon uh, that it became. And I put the deal together, uh, so I packaged up the rights deal in October of '84. And the first WrestleMania was, what, March of 85, right? Correct. Yes. So, I mean, the timing was perfect. And then they started doing, you know, a, a more pay-per-view event. So we had three regularly scheduled series every 90 days, plus, uh, you know, special stuff uh, on top. And the uh, one of the very interesting things uh, for me, because I had I had some training as a, uh, in research, be, because I, I used to work for the A.C. Nielsen Company and earlier in, in, in my professional life, and I really liked finding stuff. Well, the, the library, the, the archive, if you will, of the WWF, when, when I got it, I remember one part of it was in at this, uh, they, had a, uh, they had some of the stuff warehoused at this television station they were using in Owings Mills, and right. I walked into a uh, literally a warehouse, small warehouse, and there were tapes in all sorts of format. There was film, and not all of it was categorized because, you know, home video in the early, we're talking mid, mid-80s, was, you know, the, the battle between beta and VHS had just been won. This was a, a business that was growing very, very fast and really faster than anybody could, a lot of us could keep track of. And I remember picking up a uh, a case of two inch tape, and all it said was MSG ten slash seventy. So I could put two and two together and say, okay, it's something from Madison Square Garden in October nineteen seventy. But what? 
So as a result, I and a bunch of other people <laughs> have probably watched. There was a point in time where I I, I once laid claim to the uh, to, to the distinction of of saying that that I have probably watched uh, in that in in the eighties more wrestling than any person alive, with the possible exception of Vince McMahon. <laughs> I had to go through a lot of stuff, but it was fun and uh, and it was uh, successful. Now the home video business really boomed in the 1980s. Where do you see basically the WWF fitting into that and Coliseum Video? Well, the video business today in 2015 has is has all but disappeared as a business where you buy stuff in in some physical form. Uh I mean the business started with you know, uh, beta, then VHS, then DVD, and now DVD is has given way to the next uh, physical format, which is uh, not even physical. <laughs> it's it's streaming. So we have a saying in the, and I've been in the video and the television business now for decades, and you know, there, there's a there's a saying in the in in our business that content is king. And the WWF is both a uh, uh, a very good producer of original content, and they have become over the years um, a very good uh, custodian, if you will, uh, of content. Um, I guarantee you, there's there's no place. I haven't been in touch with those folks in many years, but I guarantee you, there's nobody walking into a warehouse today and looking at a box of you know, of of tape or a DVD that doesn't, you know, say exactly what's on it. And they can find this stuff uh, quite easily. So the WWE's um, uh, place in home entertainment, uh, it's just changed its form, just in the same way if you own a library of film, uh, that's changed its form. You're just going to be selling it a different way. And I think the best evidence is that the WWE Network, they, they have and produce enough content to literally program their own network. So that's that's quite something. They they are uh, you know they are masters of marketing, um, uh, and and certainly I I have been fortunate in my life to uh, work with two or three guys who were uh, real empire builders and who are essentially marketers. But um, I, I don't know that I've ever met a uh, a guy that has better instincts and and just inbred natural instincts than uh, than Vince McMahon. I mean, well, if you look back, his his grandfather promoted wrestling. I mean, it's 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 literally in his DNA. So it's it's not a surprise to me at all that WrestleMania has become the phenom the entertainment phenomenon it has, and it's no surprise to me that they've got a a big presence in you know home entertainment, whether it's something that you can call up whenever you want or something that's you know programmed on your TV. Now you mentioned Vince. What was it like working with Vince back then? Um, pretty thrilling. Pretty stimulating. Um, he is a uh, uh, a very driven guy. Um, I think in the five or so years that I 
worked pretty closely with him. I can only remember him taking a vacation once, and I think that was maybe a long weekend. Um, he's a um, like like a couple of other guys that I've worked with over the years who are literally you know builders of of big companies, uh, all you know mostly on their own initiative. Um, he's a very driven guy. Um, he's a very smart guy. He he has uh, an energy level that is uh, it, it's almost supernatural. I mean, he is God. Vince is all about heat, and he could he can generate. He 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 lives it. Um, he's also a guy that I find. I mean, I can't speak for for other people. I mean, if you read. You know, the, not only the trades, but the but the press, general press. He's he's had, you know, a, a bunch of people, uh, you know, that obviously have very uh, uh, fractious relationships with him uh, over the years. Um, I, I never had a problem. He was always uh, uh, ready to listen. Um, he was always uh, very respectful of me and the company I worked for. Um, and, uh, but as a marketer, um, and, and as a person, um, he, he is unique. I, I, there is, I can tell you, I've met a lot of people in the entertainment business and I've been in the entertainment business just over 40 years, but as an individual, he, he is like no, nobody else. He's, he's literally a one of a kind. And then how was the, uh, the WWF's? Uh, participation in putting together the videos. Did they strictly uh, hand over the content, or was it uh, a you know cooperative process between both sides working together to put to you know to tape the best product possible? Uh, that that did evolve um, when we got when we went through probably um, I, I think it must have been up to. A, we must have been around, I'd say, number 20, you know, like the 20th program before I turned to my boss and I said, you know, I'm a little dry for ideas here. Up until then, mm -hmm. um, we had, I mean, th there were approvals all the way along. I mean, we, we got approval on, on everything, every match who who was in it. Uh, they vetted everything. Um but we were pretty much left alone um to uh you know do the three series and and the specials i mean didn't take a whole lot of you know um uh, debate to decide whether or not you should you know release wrestlemania on on video um so so those were were pretty easy um in terms of the best of series, the novelty series, the personality series, um, they they approved them all. And again, under the circumstances, considering how hot the business was, and and how uh, not only their business but the home video business. And again, that's a business that guys I worked for, you know, knew. I mean, they they literally were were one of the inventors of of that business. So. Uh, we we were pretty much left alone again with with a reasonable and and regular uh, approval process. Long about when we got up to about twenty shows, and I called them and I said, "Listen, I need some help there." And they said, "No problem, come on up." And Vince uh, 
convened a, a meeting, a couple of meetings. One was at the office and one was at his house. Um, him, uh, Howard Finkel, Pat Patterson, and uh, Bobby Heenan. And oh, wow. we said, um, I said, I need, you know, some ideas here. What do you think? And um, they, they, they banged it out pretty quickly. I think after those two meetings, I probably had like, you know, the next 10 to 15, you know, already specced out. Were, were there any titles that stand out to you as a personal favorite amongst all the ones that you worked on? Uh, well, the obvious one, and, and really I didn't have much to do with it because, you know, it's sort of self-defining was WrestleMania three. Um, the uh, the experience of that was I mean I, I was at the first one um, and I watched it from the uh, uh, from the tunnel you know the entrance tunnel into the garden the second one uh, we watched because they were doing it at three different venues I literally watched it from an antenna farm uh, I think it was HBO's antenna oh, wow. farm <laughs> that that we that was out on Long Island to make sure that the uh, that the feeds uh, were coming correctly because that that what they did that was pretty bloody risky, what they tried with the uh, with, with the three different uh, arenas to get that all to work simultaneously. But WrestleMania three, first of all, you had Hulk Andre, which you know again is sort of self defining, and um, uh, you know it contains, to my mind, still. And, and I don't, you know, follow it uh, anymore, really. Um, but uh, it, it still has the greatest single match of all time, which is Savage Steamboat, in, in, in my right. uh, opinion. And uh, before that match went off, so I was shooting some background stuff, you know, the, the morning of. Um, and probably not more than five or ten minutes before that bell uh, went off, um, before anybody entered the ring, um, I took two steps up uh, outside the uh, one of the ring posts and looked around at what seventy three or seventy nine thousand I forget the exact number, but they were announcing they had broken the world indoor attendance record that had previously been set by the Rolling Stones. And I'll tell you, you, you don't have I don't I don't think people have the experience in their lives uh, where they can look from the middle of, you know, all those people and, and to look up and just see that is really uh, what was really quite something. And, and the way that event came together, the way it, uh, the way it flowed was, was pretty, that, that, that was pretty special. I can tell you, I watched the event once it went off. I mean, my work was all done shoot in the background is beforehand um so i watched it from the announcer at a table next to the announcer's position next to to gino and uh and jesse and and Oakland and i were uh, uh were watching it and about five minutes into the match into the savage steamboat mat gene was pounding on the table with his fists oh and boy there's a guy who Listen, he had he he for a guy to get like that to get so to get genuinely so excited it was it was pretty thrilling and then to see that event you know to be able to uh, um, 
to play it back. And and they were all, you know, I, I'd find it hard. I mean, I can, you know, think of a couple of, you know, a handful of favorites of mine. Uh, what was it? The biggest, the strong, the biggest, the smallest, the strangest, the strongest. Where we did sort of, you know, all the extremes. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, history of the heavyweight championship, history of the intercontinental title. You know, when you you put all that stuff together, uh, you know, sort of in a linear fashion, and look at it and see how the stories evolved and see how the characters um, uh, interact. That that was that that was a lot of fun for sure. Were there ever any titles that you guys thought of that actually never ended up seeing the light of day? Not. Not that I can recall. No, I don't think so. Wasn't there supposed think... to be? A, was there ever supposed to be a junkyard dog um, tape? I honestly don't recall. Did we not do a junkyard dog tape? I don't think we did. There was a a trailer that ran the the great commercials where they would get you hyped for the next set of releases. Hyped a junkyard dog. VHS Coliseum video release that never ever made it out. That's really the only one that we've ever been able to kind of see that didn't get out there, but we were curious to know if there was anything else that we missed. <laughs> um, well, I, I honestly don't recall that, but I'll tell you one I don't think we did that I think should have been done was, uh, I don't think there was ever a personality video on Jimmy Snuka. No, never was. And he was you know, quite a performer. I, I, <laughs> he, he had a match once with... Um, uh, with with Don the Magnificent Morocco, uh, a steel cage match, and um, if you listen to the commentary, I think that Gino Monsoon changed the height of the ta- of the cage uh, during the match. I think he might have reported it once at six feet and once uh, once at eight feet. But that aside, I mean the cage is uh, you know it's certainly at least having stood beside it and not being six feet tall, I can tell you it's at least six feet tall. So they're going through this match, and um, and I thought this was – I mean, I, we did use this match at some point. I don't remember in what. But I remember saying, you know, the, this match is so special, we should do something. And I thought Snooker was a really great – he was a fantastic uh, foil for uh, with um, uh, he I, I thought one of the best face heel matchups ever was him and, and Piper um, uh, when Piper beamed him with the, with the coconut yeah. and, and all that but anyway I, I but in this one match which I thought was was really outstanding um, Snooker gets on top of the cage and literally launches himself up into the air and so he is coming down on Morocco, who's who's laying, you know, like completely decimated in the middle of the ring um, on his back. And Snuka comes down on him from I, at least seven or eight feet in the air and lands on him. And that's that's the finishing move. And Jimmy probably weighed 230, 235. So we did... A studio uh, interview once with Morocco, and I, uh, I I asked him about that. We showed it to him, <laughs> and I said, you know, everybody is uh, uh, very uh, taken with the way uh, you know Snooker's finishing move, but uh, uh, frankly, I, I thought the guy that had a lie there and count on him to do that properly, you know, had the most guts. And he looked at me and he said, that's certainly the way I looked at it. 
So <laughs> that's fantastic. So, yeah, I, I mean that that takes you there. There's an element to trust there. That's uh, Really, you want to talk about a high-risk move. So I think that was the one, uh, I, I can't say I have any regrets about any of it, but if I thought about a guy that really had um, uh, in his time a great amount of uh, athleticism and, and really, uh, you know, they, they had set up his character wonderfully, especially against Piper, I thought there there could have been something on him. Oh, without a doubt. And actually, that was kind of what I was going to go into next was, you know, working with the actual superstars of that day, and you mentioned sitting up in the booth at WrestleMania three with Gorilla and Jesse the Body and Mean Gene, but then if you add in all those great personalities like Don Morocco, <clears throat> excuse me, or Roddy Piper, or even Hulk Hogan, how was it working with those stars back then? Were they very open to to working alongside somebody in television, or were they still rather close guarded in re- regards to the wrestling business? Um. I I um, would tell you that for the most part, guys were pretty open. I mean, they they realized that that the video series that what Coliseum was doing was, I mean, it was a formal business relationship that you know we were the exclusive distributor uh, of the WWF stuff. Um, I mean, these guys were all independent contractors. I can't you know speak to you know, what what their individual uh, uh, business arrangements were, you know, vis-a-vis the home video. But um, I would tell you, as I think back, I don't think I ever got anything except, you know, uh, cooperation uh, from them. Um, there was, uh, there, there were some interesting, uh, I, I think probably my favorite piece of, um, uh, of of <laughs> cooperation was um, we were doing a commercial for we were shooting a commercial for the personnel for Piper's personality tape and uh, Vince had purchased a uh, a hot rod like this thing wasn't even street legal it was a uh, it was a chassis of a uh, of a car with a box and an engine. And it had flames on the side. And you might remember Roddy would refer to himself, you know, as as, as Hot Rod. Hot Rod. And um, Vince, um, who was not the world's slowest driver, uh, he was quite well known as a guy who could uh, use an accelerator. Um, <laughs> uh, Linda McMahon was was not pleased that Vince had bought this, you know, engine on wheels. And um, anyway, so we were using it in the uh, uh, the commercial, and um, we were doing something in terms of the setup and Piper being Piper, uh, a guy that liked to joke uh, while we were setting up uh, a shot, he just decided to drive it away. And he drove it <laughs> off the lot. We were in the parking lot at uh, at Titan, and uh, he, he just drove it away. And uh, we had to get in cars and find him. Um, Vince was not well pleased, <laughs> but I think at the end he thought it was funny. Roddy thought, of course, it was uh, funny. But uh, I think that was uh, – uh, I, I don't think that anybody – to dance, come back, circle back to the question, was uh, – 
you know, not, not quite cooperative. In terms of personalities, I mean, professional wrestlers are not. Uh, people are people, and you get a lot of differences uh, in personalities. Um, uh, I, I can tell you that um, I had my favorites. The guy I was uh, closest to was John Minton, who was uh, Big John Stud, who, who died tragically uh, young uh, of cancer. Um, he he was uh, just a lovely guy, but um, uh, Roddy was was very good. Uh, Hulk uh, just always uh, very professional. Um, uh, Gorilla was uh, fantastic, a very very uh, sweet guy and a pleasure, and and very very helpful to me in you know shaping uh, you know stories when uh, you know creating. Uh, stuff uh bobby uh, uh i worked uh, very closely with him for a while and and jesse probably did a dozen shows um with him a dozen uh, uh videos that he was either on or or helping out uh, he did a lot of stuff and people when i meet people from minnesota and tell them that i you know used to work with their former governor and i tell them what the context was they're always you know, quite surprised, but I say, I'll tell you, I, I don't, I, he, he was a guy that like good actors I've worked with showed up 100% of the time, 100% ready to go. Very prepared, uh, very prepared, uh, terrific work ethic also. And, uh, and, and a guy who was, uh, uh, really a tremendous, uh, uh, sense of humor and, and, and a pleasure to work with. That's what they've always said about Jesse is that whenever he got into the studio, it was mostly a one take and go, and he nailed it every time. And he's one of those personalities that you could just see if he's going to put his efforts out, it's going to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, my favorite Jesse story, uh, although not related to the business at all, um, we were doing it. They, they would do um, Tuesday Night Titans, the, the show they were doing out in. Owens Mills, and we we wrapped, and um, there was, I think they were flying out of the Baltimore airport or the Washington airport. Anyway, Gene and Jesse, who who Oakland and, and, and Jesse both lived in in Minneapolis, um, they had to make this flight, otherwise, like they couldn't get home till the next day, and we were late leaving, so we're driving to the airport. Me, Jesse Oakland, and and Lord Alfred Hayes is driving, and we're in this big Lincoln Town car because that's all these guys, all these guys drove had Lincoln Town cars. <laughs> that was the biggest chassis you you could get uh, in a, in a car. This was literally before the days of SUVs. Um, and we drive to the airport, and and Alfred, God bless him, could not drive over twenty five miles an hour, <laughs> and. Gene, <laughs> both Jesse and Gene are getting really, really um, uh, perturbed in the back. I'm sitting in the front. And Alfred, they're telling him to drive faster, and Alfred's going, oh, chaps, you know, speed limits and all. We don't want to get in any trouble. I said, well, Alfred, come on, just, you know, get fast as you can. And then a few minutes later, he goes, oh, uh, chaps, I'm terribly sorry. I uh, we have to stop for gas. I need some gas. Well, the two of them just 
exploded. <laughs> they, they were they were very unhappy. And we pull up to this uh, gas station. It's about I don't know. It was dark. It wasn't late at night. It was maybe seven thirty at night. And um, so we <laughs> we pull up to the gas station and. Um, I don't think, I guess this must have been before the days of self-serve. And there were two teenage kids in the gas station in the office, and one of them was on the phone, and the other one was obviously taking part in the conversation. So we roll down the window, and Alfred is waving at them, and they hold up their finger like, just a minute, right? Well... Jesse was not having any of that, so he gets he goes. Never mind that. I'm he he had more colorful language than that, but he said I- I'll pump the gas. So Jesse gets out of the car and he's just come off the set. And I remember he was wearing his black T-shirt, the jeans, the big like garrison belt, and he's got a bandana <laughs> on his head. And you know he's six five and weighed about two sixty five. And anyway, he gets out of the car to pump the gas, and just then one of the kids comes out of the uh, station and out of the office, and he takes like three steps towards us, and he sees Jesse, who looks towards him and sort of growls, and without even stopping, he just does a 180, goes back into the office, locks the door, and gets on the phone, probably to call the cops because he was not going to get into any sort of uh, interaction, argument, whatever, um, with this guy. He he did do us a favor, actually, because just he he took off his uh, his sunglasses glass, first. But you could imagine how uh, how frightened these guys were. So that was pretty fast. And then oh, and then of course they wouldn't come out to take the money. So we had to leave the money under a gas cap uh, there. We just waved it at him and, you know, uh, and and drove away. And they did make their flight. But um, it's always um, I I always thought, you know, you'd like to have him around when some guy cuts you off. And, you know, and then you instead of getting into an argument, you unleash Jesse Ventura from your back seat to, you know, settle (laughs) things up. (laughs) Nice fantasy. Hope it'll always be nice to get the big man yeah back uh, on your side if you needed him. Exactly. I was just I was just curious. What is the all-time bestseller in uh, Coliseum video history? Uh, I, I don't know uh, the answer to that. Um, uh, probably the, the first uh, Hulk tape. I would think. I, I I remember we were just like we had. We had to keep ordering, uh, you know, new, new duplication orders to make more copies. I mean, he was. There was a time I remember that uh, right after WrestleMania. I now I had heard this uh, that his image was on like ninety percent of of everything, like all the messaging that uh, that went out of the WWF at the time. I'm looking now. I've still got the gold cassette. Actually, I have the gold. I have three of the gold cassettes. Two gold and one platinum right in my office. They're still up oh, right. there, and I have it very proudly. Yes, there's a gold for Hulkamania. There's a platinum for WrestleMania one, and what else? And a gold for uh, WrestleMania two. And I ran out of room for the other ones, so I didn't get those. <laughs> but I still have those three. And That's a heck of a conversation still... piece. <laughs> yes, yes, it is a 
it is. I, I can tell you uh, I, I've been fortunate in my career that I, I've uh, done some stuff in TV and the home video and that, that you know, some, some stuff that was pretty successful. But when anybody, you know, re- reads about me on, you know, on the, the net or looks up our company and see what I've done, the one thing, the one thing that never, ever fails to get the comment is, oh, you worked for the WWE? <laughs> because because honestly, you can't find a lot of people. If you think about it, people think because wrestling is, especially WWE, is is so prominent. It's so much uh, a part of the pop culture that people think there's like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, you know, that work in that business. There aren't a whole lot of people that work in the business of professional wrestling. And in the 80s, I would tell you, put all the promotions together, there couldn't have been more than, you know, I don't know, a thousand people. I mean, there just aren't a lot of people that actually have been in that business, you know, on a professional level. So I I count myself lucky. Yes, and like I said, as we started, not all of them were the first name to pop up in the credits after your <laughs> WWF Coliseum Home Video Collector Series uh, show ended. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for this. But before we let you go, I also have to say that uh, you are the the VP, executive VP of business development for Arc Productions. And in my house, we are also very familiar with Arc Productions after looking further into it, as I have a little girl. So we're very familiar with the Barbie releases and the Barbie movies. So I would just like to thank you for that. And if you could just tell us a little bit about Arc Productions. Uh, Arc Productions is uh, an animation studio, one of the biggest in Canada, um, and uh, my partner and I purchased it uh, just over four years ago. We bought it from Stars Media in the States, the people who run the Stars channels. It used to be called Stars Animation, and we do computer animation and visual effects for uh, feature film and television and for the net, and as you mentioned, yeah, we we do a bunch of work uh, both on the DVD and the digital side for uh, for Barbie. Um, we produce the television series for Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, we work for several of the major studios. We are doing another uh, another special for the net uh, for Lego uh, on the Marvel characters. Uh, so it's um, uh, it 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 keeps us busy. Uh, I. Uh, I enjoy it a lot, and I, I get to represent a lot of uh, very, very uh, talented uh, artists. And, um, business, and business is very active, and uh, we're uh, we're grateful for it. Well, we are very grateful for you and coming on. And uh, it's kind of funny thinking about it in retrospect here how how much you really uh, you have a part in my home, <laughs> you know, with the the wrestling and the uh, the animation. So I really want to thank you again for coming on and. Re- recollecting on Coliseum Video and the great days of uh, the pro wrestling business and all the best to you in the future. This was fantastic.